Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Here's a programming note on this edition of Light of the East. Between the time this program was recorded and its air date, Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak has stepped down in response to the massive demonstrations in his country. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Before we get into our subject today, there are so many things happening in the world today, as I'm sure you're aware, especially as always, as we say in this program, where we can find the Eastern churches, the Eastern Catholic churches and Eastern Orthodox churches, and in particular now, the people of the Middle East. Many things happening in these areas, such as in Egypt and Iraq. And so we're going to check in with our news anchor, a news anchor for Eastern Christian Media, and a regular guest here on Light of the East, Julie. Juliana Tamarazzi from the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. Welcome, Juliana, once again to Light of the East. Thank you, Father Tom. Hi. Well, Juliana, what is the word on the street? I know you're very involved with all these things. You've been out there, and, and you can tell us a lot, of, a lot of things of what's happening. In particular, let's start with Egypt. I understand now, with, amidst the protest, that there actually were some now victims, unfortunately, that are Christian. Yes. Uh, as soon as the pro- protest began, there were about 11 Christians that were killed. Their homes were stormed and they were killed. But we didn't, we weren't notified of this right away because the internet was down. They took the internet down. So the entire Egypt has risen and is protesting Mubarak. But what we are nervous about is is a Muslim Brotherhood to take over or be heavily involved in the new government. That is what makes us nervous. Because it would be, this would be very difficult for the Christians there. And in fact, some of the Christians, in particular in Egypt, there are the Coptic Christians, mostly Coptic Orthodox Christians, which of course is one of the many Eastern Christian churches that we talk about on this program. They were uh, contributing in a positive way in this protest, even doing some prayer, weren't they, Juliana? They were. Last uh, Friday, when Muslims were praying uh, their uh, Friday prayer, the Christians actually 
made a human shield of their own body. They held hands, and they protected the Muslims who were in the circle praying. And we saw, and the Fox News, in fact, showed um, a couple of pictures of these men holding their hands, and they had tattoos of a cross on their wrists. And this is how we knew that they were Christians. So this shows how important it is for the existence of Christianity in the Middle East, because it promotes understanding between the Islamic East and the Christian West. I've always said this, and this single image has shown how important this, the existence of Christians in the Middle East is. Now, for those of you who want to know more about all that is happening in the Middle East, and, and it's very important to keep up on it, because these are huge, mega-global issues. And again, the Eastern churches are right there at the epicenter. You can do two things. First of all, you can listen to our program here, Light of the East, with people like Juliana Tomarazzi, and also tune in to easternchristianmedia.com. And thirdly, you can attend a conference that's coming up called The Persecuted Church, Christian Believers in Peril in the Middle East. And the keynote speaker, Juliana, that's going to be Walid Faris, right? Am I saying his name right? Yes, you are correct. Very impressive. He's a, he's a man, he's an author, and he's very, very well informed of the current situation in the Middle East. Uh, I also will be speaking on the panel, uh, giving a testimony about the persecution of Christians in the Middle East. And this so is going it is, uh, I, I, we, we all would like to invite your listeners to attend, if they are in the Chicagoland area, to attend this. This is going to be a fantastic event. Yes, in fact, if you're not in Chicagoland, consider traveling in, flying into it. Remember, is and will affect us all globally. And you can find things out uh, at this conference and also listening to Light of the East or going to easternchristianmedia.com. You can find things out that you won't hear in the media. And now this event called the Persecuted Church, Christian Believers in Peril in the Middle East, is going to take place Saturday, March 12th. That's March 12th, Saturday, from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Double Tree Guest Suites and Conference Center in Downers Grove, Illinois. That's March 12th. That's a Saturday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Now, to register or get information, you can go to their website, which is camera.org. That's camera.org. Or you can call them at 888-736-3672. 888-736-3672. And again, that's the Persecuted Church with the keynote speaker, Walid Faras, and also our own Juliana Tamarazzi. Juliana, what's happening in the rest of the Middle East? The whole Middle East seems to be in a bit of an upheaval, which seems to be good in one sense, because they're apparently re resisting what is oppression, you know, the stifling of the sense of the human spirit for freedom and for justice and for compassion and fairness. But also, there's, there's a, it's kind of scary at the same time that the evil forces don't rush in, because there is a kind of a precedent for that. We've seen that in Iran and also in Lebanon and other areas of the Middle East where it seemed as though democracy and freedom was going to take over after a kind of a revolt. But then, unfortunately, the, you know, the, the evil forces got in there. So what's happening in the rest of the Middle East, and in particular Iraq? Well, Iraq, we have not seen much of uh, the situation affecting it at this time. The Iraqi Christians are really trying to survive what has already been inflicted on them within the last seven years, especially since October 31st church attack in Baghdad. The entire Middle East, however, there is, it's really, ha it has become chaotic. And we as Americans have to be very careful with how we get involved with this. And our involvement is imperative because, as you mentioned, Iran, we did not really support the king of Iran, who was our ally. And we have seen what became of Iran and therefore the entire region. So we have to be very diligent with being involved, not, not maybe so much on the surface, but behind the scenes, if we can involve, uh, be involved in the talks, bring a government that is really pro-human rights, that is not a 
an Islamic uh, base, for example, a Muslim Brotherhood. Their motto is Sharia law and jihad and the Quran is their book and they will kill for Allah. And we've all, you know, already seen that, what it has done to Iraq. So we really have to learn from Iran and the lessons from Iraq. Juliana, a lot of our listeners, and I'd like to thank them, have responded to your pleas for your work with the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. And can you tell us about what's happening with that? I am so grateful for you and to your listeners for how you stood up uh, stood up, and you really supported the Christians of Iraq. Uh, at the end of uh, December, we sent $8,000, which bought food parcels for 75 families. And wow. the pictures will be uplo- uploaded shortly on our website. So we're eternally grateful for this. Also, this week, we are sending another 10000 for food as well. I have to tell you, Father Tom, it is truly heartbreaking when I see my people in Iraq fleeing their homes. You know, these people are professionals. They were doctors, engineers, Hmm. business owners, and now they are living as internally displaced people, extending their hand for food parcels. Hmm. When you see the images, you'll see how brokenhearted they look. It is so sad. However, we have to be very happy and be grateful that your listeners have come to their aid, that have sent, we are sending the money, at least they are going to be sustained. I don't know if you remember, Father Tom, uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the rogation of Ninevites, yes. which is mm-hmm. when Jonah went to Nineveh and asked them to pray three days and three nights and fast. We were scheduled to go to Iraq to pray with them. The date is the 14th, 15th, and the 16th of February. Unfortunately, because of the fear that the Christians in Baghdad feel, they did not extend an invitation to us. They did not even want to get involved with this on an international level. We have spent trillions of dollars on this war. We have lost so many young men and women to this war for the sake of freedom in Iraq, and yet we're unable to go and practice our faith still in Baghdad. It is really sad. We are truly heartbroken, but we had to respect it. We're not going to jeopardize anything for them. We are just going to pray here in the West. May he deliver a miracle for us because we are on the verge of extinction in Iraq. Well, you know, Juliana, we're coming into the season of Lent, which, of course, is a time in which we are called to fast and do so very seriously. And we do take it very seriously in the Eastern churches. So perhaps our listeners could embrace the fast. In fact, we call it the Great Fast. Lent is called the Great Fast in the Byzantine Church. Perhaps they could embrace that in a very, very serious way. Go extra hard on it, in fact, and offer that up for our Christians in Iraq and throughout the Middle East. Now that we can kind of bring what you would have done in Nineveh, bring it here, and at least in some way, with the season of Lent approaching. Yes, uh, I would invite everyone to pray with us in their own way, fast with us in their own way at any time. You know, we, we have followed the tradition of Jonah for the last few thousand, uh, thousands of years, even before we became Christians. And we have done this for all these years. And it does not matter truly that we have to do this at the time of the erogation. As you mentioned, the Lent is coming. At any time, if when you, when your listeners and you and all of us, when we fast, if we could just pray for the persecuted Christians, not only in Iraq, but throughout the world, I believe God will listen to our prayers because there's nothing stronger than uh, a prayer. Absolutely. And now, once again, Juliana, where can people get in touch with your your ministry, your work? We are a 501c3 organization. Our website is org. 
That is IraqiChristianRelief.org. There are some pictures there already of the aid that we sent for the students that were bombed in May of 2010. Uh, we can uh, travel throughout the whole country to talk about what we do, to minister, to do fundraising. We do advocacy work. So we, we can do a lot. Um, I'm, I welcome any phone call, any email, and your listeners have truly been wonderful. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Thank you, Juliana, for checking in with us, and stay safe out there when you do all of your work. You're out in the trenches in the forefront there, so our prayers are with you. I will. The Holy Spirit is with me. Thank you very much. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to our program today, Light of the East. We've been talking in the first part of our program today with our correspondent, Juliana Tamarazzi from the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. And I'm talking about some situations in the Middle East which are, in one sense, hopeful, at the same time, tragic. It does involve deaths, unfortunately. I was informed of a death in my parish this week, which kind of is, a, in a sense, a special kind of passing. It was the passing of our elder deacon. In the Byzantine church, we sometimes use the word stadet. So it's a kind of a Slavic, a Russian word, which means like older wise person, an older person who is worthy of a kind of a dignity and veneration or respect. In the Slavic culture, they used to, and, all, and still do, of course, respect the older people, especially older people who've been connected with the church. In other words, they respected their wisdom, their grace, their dignity, their piety. And they would use the word stadets. It was like a, almost like a, like a spiritual guide. 
Well, our deacon Stoddits from my parish of Annunciation, Homer Glen, passed away this week. In fact, as we are recording this program, I received the word of his passing. His name is Deacon Michael Kennis, was the eldest of the deacons in my church. Proud to say, in Annunciation Parish, we have three deacons, three deacons. We're very blessed with those deacons in our parish. And Deacon Michael was the first among them. He was the oldest among them. In fact, he was one of the first deacons of our eparchy of Parma. Now, in the Byzantine church, we call dioceses eparchies. And Deacon Mike passed away at a rather early age of 72, rather suddenly. An illness came upon him that seemed to be undetermined, but it was a very aggressive one, and before they know it, he had passed on into eternal life. When a deacon passes into eternal life, the funeral service in the Eastern churches is very similar to that of a funeral for a layman, but in this regard, it is different. In this regard, it also is similar to the funeral of a priest, in that what they do is they take the deacon's body and they dress the deacon's body in the vestments, the vestments that he wore as a deacon. In other words, his dalmatic and his orarian, it's called. The orarian is that cloth that wraps around the deacon that he oftentimes holds up as a kind of a attention-getter, as it were, in the liturgy and kind of directs the activity of the liturgy. So he wears the orarian and also what's called the dalmatic, which is kind of like a, a tunic that goes over his whole body. It's very decorative, made of very similar material as the priest's vestments and also the altar covers. And as he's laid in the casket, he also is holding the censer because incensing was very much a part of the office of the deacon. In the Byzantine church in particular, we use lots of incense for a lot of different reasons and throughout the services, and that generally was the job of the deacon. In fact, sometimes they'd have to walk around the entire church incensing. So the deacon had to be, in one sense, kind of like physically fit. He was very active during the liturgy. And the deacons oftentimes were chosen partly due to their stature, the way they sort of came off, you know, their countenance. They were usually had booming voices. They were of strong stature, had a commanding kind of presence to them because they were kind of like the drill sergeants of the liturgy. And Deacon Mike certainly had that presence about him. But the other aspect of Deacon Mike that we were richly blessed for was that Deacon Mike was one of the project managers when we were building our Church of Annunciation, which opened up officially in the year 2000. Our first liturgy was actually 1999, but we actually had it officially consecrated on May 14th of the year 2000. So it was a parish that was built and kind of ushered into the new millennium. It kind of ushered this congregation into the new millennium, a kind of a looking forward sort of attitude and spirit and vision. And Deacon Mike was right there at the very forefront of it, making sure that the building was being built properly, you know, God's house, according to the Byzantine prescriptions of church building and all that was involved with that. His sacrifice was very, very valuable in this regard, and he remained, of course, with us to serve us as a deacon in the church until, of course, his illness and now his death on this very day that we have recorded this program. When we talk about the office of burial in the church for a deacon or priest or layperson, the history is very interesting. It's very ancient. First and foremost, because of the belief in the resurrection, the office of Christian burial has a great deal of reverence to it, a great deal of depth to it. Like everything else in the Byzantine church, the funeral service is a veritable expose of a meditation or theology, as it were, on the subject of death, of sin, of resurrection, of salvation. And during the early times of Christianity, there was always a certain reverence for burying the dead. One of the first things they would do is they would do something that was considered to be a bit of an honor. The person closest to the individual who died would have the honor or the duty, as it were, to, first of all, 
closed their eyes. If they died when their eyes were not yet shut, they would close their eyes. In fact, there's an interesting account of St. Gregory of Nisi, who was a great 4th century Byzantine saint, who gives an account of closing the eyes of his saintly sister, Macrina, when she died. And in fact, St. Gregory of Nisi says this, So I placed my hand, deadened by grief, upon her holy face so as to seem to disregard her request. Actually, her eyes required no attention, since her eyelids were becomingly lowered, as if she was asleep. Her lips were set naturally, and her hands were crossed on her breast. The whole position of her body was so natural that there was no need of any further arrangement. This is the account of St. Gregor of Nyssa, whose job and honor it was, was to close the eyelids of his deceased sister, who also was a saint, the great Saint Macrina. It's a very holy family. St. Basil the Great came from this family as well. And again, they're in the 4th century. Then after that, the next thing that was required of the body was for it to be clean and washed. And this is mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 9, verse 37, about a certain convert, Tabitha, where it says, They washed her body and laid it out in a room upstairs. Now, this ceremony of washing symbolizes the purity of the soul, for nothing unclean can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that's found in the book of Revelations, chapter 21, verse 27. Then St. Gregory of Nazianzus, another great 4th century saint, reprimanding the Christians for delaying the baptism of their children, says, Are you waiting to be washed when dead? So we had the washing of the body. First, the closing of the eyelids and the washing of the body. And then there was the dressing of the body. Now, when it comes to a priest or a deacon, as I mentioned, in reference to Deacon Michael Kennis, who passed away from our church, our parish today, when it comes to the clergy, they are vested in the vestments of their office. Priest is vested ceremoniously by other priests. His body is laid out on a table. In fact, this is called, actually, in the original tradition, it was called a catafalque which was, what it was really, was an elevated stand, and it was draped with covers, which represents a bed. Since the the emphasis on the death of a Christian, was especially in the Eastern churches, was more of a falling asleep. In fact, we call the Assumption of the Virgin Mary, that was her death and entrance into heaven, the falling asleep, or in other words, the dormition. So the body was placed on this table that was emulating a bed. And then the body was dressed in the finest clothes, and there was in festive clothes, and there was symbolic of the resurrection. And again, when that was the requirement for the body of St. Macrina, her brother, St. Gregory of Nyssa, found out that she did not have really festive, beautiful clothes. And so what he did was he actually offered his own clothes as a bishop to put on her. That was his uh, sense of devotion to the holiness of his sister. A very, very moving story of this very holy family. After the body has been dressed appropriately, then it is brought into the, the church or into a home for the services. Now, in the Eastern churches, in the early Christian churches as well, the burial services were something that went all night long. And the reason larger was because the Christians were under persecution. And so they had to kind of bury their dead at night, you know, under the the veil of night. And so this gave rise to a great tradition of an all-night vigil for the burial of Christians even to this day. In fact, ideally, the Byzantine ceremony of burial is designed to go from one evening all the way through the night 
into the next morning and then to the grave site. And what happens during this evening is this. We have several services, one of which is called the Potestas, which means like an all-standing service, because the custom in the Eastern Church was to stand. That is our basic posture for prayer, especially when it's required to pay a certain respect or honor to a living person or to the deceased. So we stand at prayer, and then we stand through the night chanting verses from the Scripture that are paraphrases or direct quotes that have to do with the whole meditation on death, resurrection, sin, and our salvation. There are also many beautiful poetic and theological verses written largely by St. John Damascene, who was an 8th century saint in the Byzantine church. He wrote many beautiful meditations that make up the office of Christian burial in the Byzantine church today. After the Potestas is chanted, Customarily then, for deacon and layperson, there is the continuous reading of the Psalms. In other words, all 150 Psalms, from the first all the way to the end. Now, for a priest, in addition to the Psalms, they will also read, as is usually done by the clergy, they will read continuously the Gospels. I have to tell you, I've been involved in several of these kinds of ceremonies for the burial of the priest and also a deacon, and it's a very moving thing. It really is a sense of honor. I know I did it for my own bishop, helped to vest him. I've helped to vest other priests who were deceased and took part in the all-night vigils, reading my portion of the Gospel along with my brother priests. And there's a great, great sense of fellowship and camaraderie that happens in doing this. You sort of like the brotherhood comes together for one of their own fallen heroes, as it were. We sort of pray that person into heaven, as it were. And we read the scriptures and read the Psalms continuously and all these beautiful, beautiful hymns and theological reflections written by great Byzantine saints. It's a very deep and moving experience to be part of a Byzantine office of Christian burial, and we will do our best to make it a deep, moving, and beautiful experience for our fallen brethren, Deacon Michael Kennis. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, CatholicRadioInternational.com.